I wanted to focus this time on really digging deep in what Christmas is all about. And I'm going to use a very famous Christmas passage, which is John 1, 14. Not really. This is actually going to be up on the screen for you guys. But listen to what these words say right here in the, in the book of John, the Gospel of John. It says this. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word, the Word of God, Jesus, literally came and became flesh. And he dwelt among us. When you see somebody's glory, when you've seen his glory, you're seeing the essence of who someone is. When you see Jesus, you see the Father. This is what he's like. And I want to look at that because what Jesus did to show us the Father is he did what? Incarnate. You hear the word oftentimes, the, the Christian yeast term, is like this idea of incarnation. The definition literally means the act of being made flesh. God, who is spirit, took on flesh and walked among us. You know, there's something to be said that when you experience something yourself, it makes you better able to relate to other people. I know personally, like in 2011, my mother passed away. And it so changed me in terms of how I now relate to people who are going through suffering. And when somebody is uh, dealing with a loved one who is sick or a loved one who, passed, who has passed away, it's changed my perspective and how I now approach them and how I now step into their world and can better relate to them. For many of us, it's like a parent, right? I have a child. I remember literally a year ago going to my dad and saying, man, I can't thank you enough for what you did as my, mom, as my, my father and what you and mom did. Because now I have a little one, I'm like, I got a whole new perspective on what that is like. There's something about stepping into somebody's shoes because you've been there yourself. And what I want to look at today is I want to take a deeper look at this word incarnation, this whole idea of incarnation that we often hear around Christmas time. Understand this, God's love through his humility, we see God's love through his humility to step into our world and literally suffer for us. He stepped into our world and he suffered in doing what? In moving toward someone else. Jesus in the Bible is called a man of sorrows. The literal translation is he was a man of pains. Jesus experienced physical suffering. Jesus experienced emotional suffering. And now he knows what it's like to be us because he stepped into our world and he stepped into our shoes. And when you incarnate with someone in love, oftentimes the path is suffering. As you move toward people in a sinful world, there's a very good chance that you are going to suffer as a result. The incarnation is about love. The very first commandment is to love the Lord your God with your soul, your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. The second is to love others as yourself. And what we see in Jesus' incarnation is a fulfilling of both of those commandments right there. And how does he do it? He does it through his humility, and he does it through suffering. And that's what I want to look at today. I want to take a closer look at Jesus' life and what it means for us and how we are called to then go and live. And my hope and my prayer is that when we're done, 
that you would walk away with a deeper appreciation and be transformed by looking at the life of Jesus and what he came to do for us. Let's pray. Father, we pray. Settle our hearts and our minds, Lord. Father, help us to hear from you today. Speak to us through your word, Lord. We pray that you would bring to remembrance um, these things in our life, God. Where do we need to come to you and ask for forgiveness? Where do we need to come to you and repent? And where do we need to come to you and just say, ask for help, Lord? We need this in our life, Father. We just pray that you would speak today through your word. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I want to start off with this, because in the very beginning, Jesus was never unclear about why he came into our world. There was an incident where the uh, disciples, two of the disciples, John and James, come to Jesus and say, man, we, we ask that you grant us anything that we wish. And he says, okay, what would you like? We like that when you come into your glory, one of us can sit at your right hand, one of us can sit at your left hand. And Jesus says to them, well, are you able to drink from the cup that I'm going to drink and to be baptized in that baptism that I'm going to have? And they said, we are. I don't think they quite understood what was going to happen right there, what Jesus was asking of them. And then the other disciples look at them and they get angry at them. How dare you ask Jesus for those positions? They didn't quite know what they were asking. And then Jesus says to all of them, he says this in Mark, he says, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. I think you guys all understand what I'm saying right here. What he's saying is, I came to give my life, not to come and be served, but to serve. The first thing that you see with Jesus is his humility. Jesus was humble to his father because he loved him and he was obedient to whatever his father asked him to do, which was to come into our world and to give his life. You know, the Apostle Paul talks about this and in his, he writes a letter to the, the church of Philippi and this is what he says in Philippians 2. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Though, ho though he was in the form of God, he didn't account quality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. What he's literally saying is Jesus never tried to pull out the God card. He didn't count equality with God as something that he had to keep going back to. He emptied himself, and he emptied himself how? By becoming a human being. God, the creator of everything, literally emptied himself and came as a human being. Not only did he humble himself that way, he came and even gave his life on the cross. The most gruesome, awful type of death that you can have during... The Roman citizens didn't even do that to their own citizens. The Roman government didn't even do it to their own citizens. And yet God chose to come as a man and humble himself to death on the cross. Everything Jesus talked about, he talked about taking the lower place. He goes to a party and he says, he gets to the party and he says, for those who are guests, when you go and you sit down, don't sit in the place of honor. 
go and take the lower place so that somebody would come and grab you and take you to the place of honor. And then he goes to the actual host and says, and when you host, don't invite people that, can, that invite you back. Invite people who can't invite you back. You see, Jesus, as he's on trial with the religious leaders and with Pilate, he never opens his mouth. And they're throwing accusations at him. And they're slapping him across the face. And what does he do? Nothing. He takes the lower place. Jesus, the night before he dies, what does he do with his disciples' feet? Washes them. It's one of the lowest things that you could do in that time. And yet Jesus, time and time again, takes the lower place. Why? Because he's showing us what God is like. Humility. Loving by incarnating means that we first have to humble ourselves. Jesus humbled himself before his Father by being obedient to his Father and entering into our world. And then as he's here, he continually humbles himself before us. So we see his humility, and then we see his suffering. Listen to what the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 2.10. He says, For it was fitting that he, God, for whom and by whom all things exist, in trying bringing many sons to glory, right, for salvation, should make the founder of their salvation, which was Jesus, perfect through suffering. Jesus was made perfect through suffering. Jesus learned obedience through suffering. And what Jesus experienced in his life, he literally comes and steps into our world and understands what it's like to be us by suffering. And now he's a perfect sacrifice because he's like one of us, and yet he was without sin. When you experience something yourself, it makes you better able to relate to others. It's one of the things that Paul Miller in his books always talks about. He says, Jesus became a better lover because now he understands what it's like to be us. He steps into our world. Love by incarnating means that you're going to possibly suffer as you begin moving toward people in a sinful world. Jesus' humility and obedience to his Father is now coming here and moving toward people. And as a result, we often see Jesus suffer. That's the life of Jesus. And we see it time and time again. And now what Jesus says the, day, the night before he dies, he tells his disciples, here is a new commandment. I want you to love one another as I have loved you. Because then, then people will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. And now he calls us to do the same. There's a book by C.S. Lewis. It's called uh, The Silver Chair. And uh, I don't know if any of you have heard of The Silver Chair before. And uh, in the book, there's a young girl. Her name is Jill Pole, And she's walking and she's entered strange woods in the land of Narnia with her friend Eustace Scrub. And so after some poor judgment, she now finds herself alone and separated from Eustace. And she's going and she's just getting more and more thirsty. And she's looking for water and she sees a stream and she stops. Why? Because right before the stream is a lion. And she sees it and she thinks to herself, well, if I try to run away, he's going to be after me. But if I keep going forward... I'm going to run straight into his mouth. And her 
thirst became so bad that for a moment she thought, I actually wouldn't mind being eaten by the lion if I could just get a little taste of the water. And listen to what it says here. It says, the lion said, if you're thirsty, you may drink. And she wondered who had spoken. And the voice said again, if you are thirsty, come and drink. And she was still frightened. Are you not thirsty? I'm dying of thirst, said Jill. Then drink, said the lion. Well, may I? Could I? Or would you mind going away while I do? said Jill. The lion answered this only by a look and a very low growl. The delicious rippling noise of the stream was driving her nearly frantic. Well, you promised not to, to do anything to me if I come, said Jill. I make no promise of the lion. Well, I dare not come and drink, said Jill. Then you will die of thirst, said the lion. Oh, dear, said Jill, coming another step nearer. Well, I suppose I must go back and look for another stream then. There is no other stream, said the lion. When you hear that story, who does Jill represent in that story? Us, right? Who does the lion represent? Yeah. You see, Jesus talks about rivers and streams of living water, and we see it. The problem is Jesus is right before it, and we are so afraid of what Jesus is going to ask us to do because we don't want to lose control of our lives. We fear what Jesus is going to ask of us. You see, but when you step into the life that Jesus calls you to live, then you know Christ in ways that you never would have. We literally walk in his shoes to be changed by him. You know, I look at my life, my problem in terms of incarnating with people is I just didn't love people. I didn't, and I didn't know how to love people, right? Society says... If you want to love people more, you should love yourself more. I didn't have a problem loving myself. I was really good at that. But you see, the more I love myself, I'm not going to love you. I'm going to love myself more. So that's not the key, right? When I love myself, I don't move toward you. I move toward me. And I can't will myself to try and love more. I need God. I need God to change me to do it. I needed to learn obedience through what I went through. And the beautiful thing was God was about to show me. The wonderful thing about God is oftentimes God allows us to see ourselves so that we then go out to him and reach out for help. And he opens up our own eyes. And the first step he was going to do it was in my humility. You see, Paul, in his letter to the Philippians, actually goes on further to say this. And he talks about his own life and his own experience. He says, he says, for we are the circumcision, he's talking to believers, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. He says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. You think 
You're good at what you do and your accomplishments. Let me tell you what I did. This is what Paul is saying right here. He said, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, right? The tribe of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, I was a Pharisee. I was teaching people the law, right? As to zeal, I used to go out and persecute the church, right? As to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. I didn't do anything wrong. But whatever gain I had, I counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. What Paul is saying is, you think you're it. Let me tell you about my achievements. I did it all. And it means nothing. It means nothing for the sake of knowing Jesus. That's the most important thing in my life. And he's like, you know what? I finally get it. I get it. You see, I was in 2002, I was working a really good job. I was a trainer for this new up-and-coming IT company or this um, technology company. And um, life was good, man. I was like laying on the beach in Puerto Rico. I had done a training session. I was like laying on the beach like, I'm getting paid for this right now. I'm like, I love life. I love being a Christian. God is just hooking me up, right? And all of a sudden, it changed. The company was running out of money. And so I got laid off. It was not for laying on the beach. They were running out of money. So, and I was like, I got to apply for some kind of job. So I went, and my mom was like, why don't you just apply at UPS? And so I looked at it, and I knew they were looking for, like, night shift people. And I was like, I don't want to work the night shift. It was like 11 a, a p.m. to, like, 3 a.m. And, uh, and I sat at that desk for literally 15 minutes before I hit enter because I knew they were going to call me. And so finally I did. I hit enter. My phone rang because I knew that this was like a new chapter in my life. And so I got the job. Man, I worked there for like a week. I was loading boxes. I started in like November. It was cold. And then you start getting to like January and February. I started and I was like, I am miserable. I'm like, this is the worst job I've ever had. After a week, I was like, I'm going to give my two-week notice. That's how awful this job was. And uh, I mean, because look, I mean, I, I went to Notre Dame. I was a grad, right? I was a trainer. I had all these accomplishments. And what God was showing me was, you love yourself too much. God was humbling me. I can't love you because I was in love too much with myself. And God was bringing me to a place where I was ending myself. I was learning obedience to him because he had taken me to a lower place to show me myself. I ended up being there for two and a half years. I was at UPS working. And God was changing me. He was changing me. And he was using that experience to do it. All the other things that I used to hang my hat on meant nothing anymore because my life, my worth, and my fulfillment were now all found in Jesus. It's amazing what God has to do sometimes to get us to empty out ourselves so that our focus now becomes on him. Jesus Christ, he loved his father more than anything. And in doing so, he humbled himself to his father and was obedient to what his father was calling him to do, which was to step into our world and to give his own life. And now God was teaching me the same thing. And as I experienced this, I began to fall in love with God 
more because he was the only thing I could rely on. He was my life. And I began to love him more as I began to see him. And now, as he lives in me and as I love him more, what's the second commandment? Now I'm going to go out and start to express that love. So somebody who didn't really love people very much, now I'm going out and looking for ways to move toward people. But when you move toward people in a sinful world, what happens? You're going to suffer. And this is the next thing that God was teaching me. You see, what Paul goes on to say in Philippians is this. In Philippians 3, he says, And be found in him, which is Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. I don't get my righteousness from following rules in the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. My faith, my righteousness comes from faith in Christ. That's where my faith is. That's where my salvation is. But then he goes on to say this, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. I want to know Jesus. And how am I going to know him? In suffering and in death. Because when I suffer and I feel like I'm dying, now the, the shape of the Christian life is this, right? It's suffering and death, which leads to resurrection. He says, I want to know the same power that rose Christ from the dead. I want to experience that in my life. And I know I do it through suffering. And now what he says is, Keith, you are going to start moving toward people. And when you do, you're going to suffer. But you're going to enter into the life of Christ and you're going to receive that resurrection power and you're going to know me in ways that you never would have thought. Ooh, how true this was. You see, my last job, we had an experience where um, we were doing a training session on this brand new product that we were rolling out. And so I was asked as the trainer to set up the training. But nobody really knew this product except the CEO. So he says, okay, I will deliver just a quick demo of the training. So he's like, I will control your, like the mouse and everything from your computer, but he'll be up in his office. So we have the technology to do that. And so before the, uh, the actual meeting, we were, uh, we were trying to get everything all taken care of and we saw like the, there was a glitch. And so my coworker was like, why don't you just do this? Why don't you just share his screen so that he can just operate it from his own? I'm like, that's actually a good idea. So the meeting started. I flipped over to his screen. Now, the CEO was a very private person. And uh, nothing bad came up on his screen, but here's a picture of his family. Ooh, and he was mad. And all of a sudden, my phone rings. And it's like the CEO. And I'm like, hello? And he was angry. And so now he wants me to come upstairs. Now, I've told you guys this before. I hate confrontation. I hate getting into a situation where there's going to be ill will and bad feelings or whatever. I don't like it. I avoid it at all costs, right? Why? Because oftentimes my worth is on how you view me. Remember, I went to Notre Dame, right? I mean, like, I, I was growing in the organization. I didn't want to have my worth lowered in the eyes of other people, and this was going to happen, right? I don't want you not liking me. But what God was showing me was, there's the cross, 
And this is the path that you have to take right now. And it's suffering. And you're going to feel like you're dying. And I remember walking up there and literally being like, God, help me. Help me. And for that moment right there, you know whose life I felt like? Jesus. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that what I went through and what Jesus went through are the same things. But Jesus calls us daily to take up our cross. And he says, the way that you experience resurrected life is you have to go to suffering. And now I'm in the midst of suffering. And there's a part of me that wants to go around the cross to take the easy way. And he's like, no, that's what Jesus went through. And I want you to go through the same thing. And sure enough, I go upstairs. And what do you think happened? Yeah, he yelled at me. And so now I come back downstairs with my tail between my legs, right? I have to do the rest of the meeting. And now what he says is, and this is God, now I want you to go back on that path again because you need to go and apologize. I want you to take the lower place and go and apologize to him. And I was like, I don't want to suffer again. <laughs> And so I reached out to my boss. My boss arranged a meeting, and now I'm going back upstairs again to suffer. But that's the path that he asks us to take because that's where you see resurrected life. That's where you cry out to God like you've never cried before in the midst of moments like that. And so I go upstairs. I see him. I apologized. That's hard. If you're not used to admitting that you're wrong, it's really hard. You feel like you're dying when you're doing that, right? And I went and apologized, and he appreciated it, and he did tell me that if it happens again, I'm going to be fired. But I saw Christ in ways that I never would have experienced before. And so what he invites us to do is, I want you to enter into my life. And the way that we experience that is through death, suffering, and resurrection. And I knew God in ways that I never would have known him had I tried to go around my cross experience. God moved me toward other people in humility. And I suffered. I was yelled at. My worth was lowered in others' eyes. I had to apologize. And I could have very well said, but yeah, it was my coworker that actually told me to do it. But I didn't. Because ultimately, I was the one and did it. In suffering, I saw my need for God even more. And in suffering, I saw the power of his death and, res death and resurrection and his love. And the experience that I had made me now better able to relate and to move toward people because now I know what Christ, the type of life that Christ experiences, and it makes me even better now able to go and to step into somebody else's world. God was taking me through the same thing that his own son went through on earth. That's what he asks us to do. When you look at the life of the disciples, there's one in particular. He literally cheated and extorted his own people. He was a sellout to the Romans. No one from the people of Israel would want to even spend time with him, let alone to talk to him and to speak with him. And yet Jesus went to him and called him. That was Matthew. And then there was another guy. He was a zealot. Yep, he was looking to overthrow the Roman government. And as a revolutionary for the people of Israel, he hated everything that Matthew stood for. And yet Jesus says to him, follow me. And who was that? That was Peter. Jesus not only changed their lives 
and he changed their views, but he transformed the world and he transformed them in the midst of it. Because Matthew would go on to pay restitution and to pay back anybody he stole from and eventually go on to write one of the Gospels. And Peter, he would be humbled in his own denial of Jesus. And he didn't die as a revolutionary, he died as a martyr. Both of them learned in humility and both of them learned in suffering. Why? Because Jesus Christ stepped into our world and then literally stepped into each one of their lives. That's what Jesus does. He steps into our world and now he moves toward people and steps in their lives. Why? Because we need a Savior. God doesn't come if the problem is we can just follow a few rules to clean ourselves up. He comes and steps in our world because we needed a Savior. That's what Jesus Christ came to do. Because of our sin, we couldn't get out of our own way. But he came to give his life. And even he came and learned through his obedience to become a perfect sacrifice for us on the cross. I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. The cross is the humility and the suffering of Jesus for us. That's what he did on the cross. That's why he was born. So what does this mean for us? Number one, the incarnation is more than just salvation. It's how he changes us into his image. He makes us like him. And it's us, Christ living through us, that begins moving toward people and incarnating with them and stepping into their shoes to point them to him, to a savior, to their need for a savior. And we, how do we do that? The second thing is humility. What does the lower place look like in your life? Does it mean it's something as simple as I'm driving in a parking lot and all the spots are full and one opens up and I see somebody else coming and I let them have it? take the lower place and let somebody else have that spot? Does it mean that uh, I, somebody else takes credit for my work? And I take the lower place humility? Does it mean I ask questions of somebody in relationship, knowing very well that their responses to me can be hurtful? Humility? The first step to incarnate, to step into somebody else's life and to move toward them is humility, because when you do that, that's where you find God. That's where God is. He's in the low place. And he says, join me here, because when you do that, now you're going to find me, and now you're going to see me. So it's humility, and it's humility, and also what? The third one is suffering. Suffering happens every day. We often look for the big ways of suffering. I've been diagnosed with this disease, um, you know, the, the, the passing of somebody. Don't get me wrong. Those are absolutely suffering. But I'm telling you right now, there's moments of suffering every single day for all of us. And it's looking for those moments. Is it moving towards someone with hard words, knowing very well what their response is going to be back to you? That can be suffering and it can feel like death, right? Is it sharing Christ with someone who doesn't want to hear it? Is it with walking with someone who's hurting and bearing their burdens too for what they're going through? When we suffer, we now fellowship with Jesus. And for that moment, you understand what Jesus went through. And that moment, we cry out to God and say, I need your strength, Lord. 
And the same power that raised Christ from the dead is now available to you when you know Christ as your Lord and Savior. He wasn't a distant God. He saw what we were going through and literally jumped into our world and became just like us and humbled himself to the point of death on the cross. And he's asking us to enter into his life, his death, and his resurrection. And when you do that, now you know his power, and that's what other people will see. I want to end with this. It's from Luke 2, verses 6 and 7. It says this, And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Jesus didn't come as a king. He didn't come on a throne. He didn't come in a big castle, in a big mansion. He came as the most vulnerable human there would be, a child. That was his humility. And what did he come to do? To suffer and die for us. The incarnation is ultimately about God's love for us, his love for us to save us from our sins, and his love for us to change us into his image. And because of what Christ has done, and because I've received the free gift of salvation, he lives in me, and now I go and incarnate with people and begin stepping and moving toward people. That's what Christmas is about. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus has come. Now, what are you going to do with that? Pray with me.